God bless you. Love you. May God be with you. Amen. Thank you. Good morning. Have a seat. Uh, how's everybody doing? We uh, missed each other. i got to figure out what my code is here. Um, we missed each other uh, last two weeks, the snow, and then last week we had a little snafu with getting the sermon up. Sorry about that. Apologize for that. I want to say that uh, our own uh, Rachel Ruggieri, her father, Craig Snow, just came out with a book. And I got a free copy. So um, he's a great guy. He's been to 6-8 a number of times, and I, I can't wait to read that. That's going to be exciting. So if he's watching, I don't know if he is watching, but he might be, yeah. He does sometimes, I know. Um, yeah, we're excited. We're excited, Craig. Anyway, um, <laughs> uh, I had Kim and I went to Florida, and we uh, pulled around for umpteen miles, 50, 60 miles, something like that, in, in, the, in the Everglades with crocodiles and alligators. It was really cool. So uh, we, it was a much-needed break, and we had a really good time. And uh, you can pray for Kim. Our back went out in the middle of the trip, so I had to paddle all the way back. We were the farthest we could be from our starting point, and I had to paddle us all the way back. So anyway, but, you know, got these guns. It's, it was all right. Uh, let me pray. Let me pray for us. Thank you, Richard. That was great. Father, we thank you this morning that you are here and you are present. And that's what we want. We want your presence. We desire your blessing, not just to hold it to ourselves, but to give it away. Uh, to, to, to be a part of what you're doing. We ask that you would teach us this morning, would speak to us and clarify with us what that means. What is our role? Where, what are we, what are we here for? Uh, I pray that you would, uh, sort of Bring the nuts and bolts together, all the little pieces together to make this image clear to us of who you are and who we are to you and to the rest of the world. We thank you that you are King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and we uh, we ask that you would be present and that you would embody these words that are going to be spoken right now. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, um, this is our first uh, sermon in a four-week series, uh, just basically about the story of the Bible, right? Like the, the scriptural story. And we we'll, our purpose is to understand the scriptures as sort of central theme um, and and kind of our role in it, right? What, 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 is, what role do we play? And we're going to follow this series up. We're going to have probably a... I know that Dawn uh, was supposed to preach this past Sunday. She's going to do, after that four weeks, she's going to do her, her Sunday and then... We're going to do another four weeks, and we might have another one off in the middle of the other, the other one as well, just to break it up a little bit. But uh, we're going to have a total of twelve weeks to explore God's heart for the world and for uh, all the nations of the world. And you know, I think many of us would would admit that that growing up, we we thought of the Bible as sixty six sort of independent, various different messages and themes throughout it, right? And uh, but. My purpose today is to get us to think and to view the Bible as one book with one introduction, one body or story in the middle of that, and then one conclusion at the end. Um, And today we're going to begin to understand that story, I hope, and not to simply learn Bible stories like David and Goliath and, you know, Daniel and the lion's den and things like that, but rather the overall message of... uh, sort of the entire Bible as one book with an introduction, a main story, and 
conclusion. And then the introduction of the Bible, if you if you start there, is found, if you don't know, in Genesis chapters 1 through 11. That's pretty much the introduction of the Bible. And most of us kind of know the major events. If we've grown up in a church or we've been around the church for a little while, the major events of the introduction, right? We, 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 we have the creation account, we have Adam and Eve, things like that, the fall, etc., and so on and so forth. We kind of know those things. And then we have the, 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 the story or the plot of the Bible beginning in Genesis 12. Genesis 12 is such a pivotal chapter uh, that... Get, get that locked into your brain, so to, so to speak. And it runs all the way to the conclusion, which we find really in, in Revelation chapter 5, which ends the story of the Bible, so to speak. And the basics to the introduction are these, that you know we know that God creates mankind, and then mankind falls into sin, and then God deals with sin in some way, and, and then you know as they move out, they, mankind begins to grow and to multiply and to fill the earth until finally we get to this point where uh, in Genesis chapter six verse five, another really pivotal verse. Remember this one and listen to it, man. This is a hard verse to listen to, but it says the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth. Now think about this. You think, if you look out at the world right now and you think it's bad now, it was really bad then. Alright, let's, let's listen to this. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every, and these are all superlatives, right? That every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. Isn't that a pretty condemning statement? If you think about it? And now this comes just before, and it is the reason for the flood narrative, if you remember that story, Noah and the flood. And we know that God, as a holy being, is, you know, he can't be in fellowship with sin or sinful creatures. Sin and holiness are literally like oil and water. They cannot mix. They cannot sort of be in the same room together. They can't, they can't live together. That's why our own personal purity and holiness is an important issue in the church. Our own individual lives and our corporate lives is like that. But listen out to how depraved these people had become. Every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. Not part of the time, you know, not, not an 80% evil, 100% evil all the time. That's pretty intense if you think about it. Now, in his desire to be in relationship with us, God had to deal with sin. And one place we see him dealing with sin uh, is through that flood where Noah and his family remain in the ark for like 40 days of rain. And a year later, I think it was, they, they, they ran aground and God gives them this rainbow and he says, Noah, I'm just never going to do that. I'm never going to take things out like that again, you know, and then mankind moves out and over the years mankind begins to grow and to multiply again right then in genesis 11 if you remember god creates the nations at the tower of babel very important point there as well and he you remember he scatters them and 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 confuses their languages scatters them with all these different various languages and that basically ends the introduction of the bible 
Now, if we were watching this as a play, if we were sitting in the audience and, 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 and intermission would happen and the, the curtains would close and we would end the introduction with God, you know, up there in heaven and, you know, mankind's on earth. He's represented by, you know, all these different languages and, and that introduction is over. We'd go out, we'd get Coke and popcorn, we'd come back in, we'd sit down, we'd resume the play, which is now beginning this like overall story of the Bible. So God sees uh, these multiple different people groups sort of on the face of the earth, and he loves each one of them equally. He loves each one of them equally as they are. And so he reaches out to them, and he could have spoken you know, his good news to each different people group in their own language. He created those languages, right? He could have done that. He could have just, you know made everybody to believe him and all that stuff, but he chose to use people to reach people. Now, we, we sometimes like kind of wonder, it seems like the slow route, right? He, but he chose to use people to reach people. And perhaps it's partly to train us in, into understanding how to become more like himself, to, to, to work us through you know, developing his character in us. I don't know. But he picked one man, very important man, Abram, who later becomes Abraham, if you remember. And he said, Abram, I'm going to bless you, right? And I'm going to be your God, and your, your people are going to be my people. And, and the reason I'm going to bless you, Abraham, isn't simply so that you can sit around and enjoy it and say, praise God, I'm so blessed, right? That's only half of it. Enjoying his blessing is only half of it. The other half is that he wants... Uh, God's people to be a blessing to all the other peoples of the earth that he created at the Tower of Babel. And he says, I want to bless you in order for you to be a blessing to all the nations of the earth, all the peoples of the earth, right? And that promise is found, and this is, if if you, this, this little two verses here should be in your repertoire of memorized verses, right? But in Genesis 12, 2 and 3, and it goes like this, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all the peoples of the earth shall be blessed through you. Right? All the peoples of the earth shall be blessed through you. Now that promise, and we also use the language of covenant, that covenant promise Uh, God gives to Abraham falls into two very basic components, a top-line component and a bottom-line component, right? And the top line of that covenant is this, that God desires to bless his people. It's just a basic fact that God desires to bless his people. It's who he is. It's how he reveals his character. It's how he reveals his glory to us. God loves to bless his people. He really does. And if you don't believe that, pray that the Lord changes your heart, because it is true, God loves to bless his people. But he never blesses us solely just for us. Now you've got to remember that as well. We're not here to view ourselves as a bucket that just goes around collecting blessings for ourselves. Christianity is not about sitting around just enjoying God's blessing. That is only half of it, remember, right? God desires us to emulate him in blessing others, right? To to pour out 
what we receive from Him to others. Instead of a bucket, we're, we're to view ourselves as a sort of a piped vessel uh, being filled and passing along that blessing. I, I, I almost called Albert to see if he had any beakers and stuff. I was going to order them off of Amazon, little beakers, and they have this little pipe that comes outside, and you can connect it with a rubber hose to another beaker with another little pipe coming outside and just daisy-chain them together and fill it up. And I was going to have a little visual up here. It was really good in my mind, but... But Amazon was backed up, and they couldn't get it to me until today, so I, like, I, I couldn't do it. But it just would have been a really good visual for that. See, God already knows who He wants to bless through you. Maybe today, tomorrow, next week, ten years from now. He already knows who He's going to bless through you, through your ministry to other people. So blessing comes in and goes out. Blessing comes in and goes out. Goes in The living water, it doesn't get stagnant. Right? It, 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 it's just the way it is. Which is the bottom line sort of uh, component of the covenant promise, right? It's the bottom line responsibility that we have to go and to bless others with Christ. And not just those like us, that eat like us, dress like us, talk like us, and things like that, but all peoples. All peoples. Now, if you've been around 6'8", for any length of time, you will understand that I love Rudyard Kipling's poem, We and uh, We and They. And if you haven't heard me, you will hear it again. I, I, I've recited this in a number of sermons, and I just love it. But it illustrates in a really sort of a comical way how we view people different than us, right? And it goes like this. Father and mother and me, sister and auntie say, all people like us are we, and everyone else is they. And they live over the sea, while we live just over the way. But would you believe it? They look upon we as only a sort of they. We eat uh, pork and beef with cow horn handled knives. They who gobble their rice off a leaf are horrified out of their lives. While they who live up a tree and feast on grubs and clay, isn't it scandalous, look upon we as a simply disgusting they. We shoot birds with a gun. They stick lions with spears. Their full dress is un. We dress up to our ears. They like their friends for tea. We like our friends to stay. And after all that, they look upon we as an utterly ignorant they. We eat kitcheny food. We have doors that latch. They drink milk or blood under the thatch. We have doctors to fee. They have wizards to pay. And impudent... Impudent heathen, they look upon we as a quite impossible they. But all good people agree, and all good people say, all nice people like us are we, and everyone else is they. But if you cross over the sea, instead of just over the way, you may end up, think of it, looking on we as an only sort of a they. And I love that poem. It's so true, isn't it? But God says to us, we are to bless all the they's or them's out there in the world. Who don't look like us, who don't dress like us, who don't eat like us, you know, who don't maybe smell like us or sound like us or anything like that. Those who may live in different areas of our cities, those who live in different areas of our world. Like you guys understand and know that Kim and I spent nine years in Indonesia doing that very thing. 
learning languages. I had to learn two languages while I was there. It's not easy for a guy like me, <laughs> right? But how do we know this? How do we know this to be true? Well, God said peoples would be blessed through Abraham. Peoples, and that term's already plural, right? But when that S is added there, God invites us to view all the people of the world divided up into their various tribes and tongues or ethnic groups, right? Now, the term is translated as peoples or nations sometimes, but it's not nations of political boundaries at all. Rather, it is nations of cultural linguistic boundaries, right? So, for example, Pakistan uh, is one nation politically, right? Politically, it is a nation. But in God's eyes, when he uses the word nation, it's made. A, he sees it as made up of nine different sort of people groups or ethnic groups or nations. Sometimes we use that language in the scriptures. And they all have different language and different customs and different foods and possibly even worship different gods than each other, right? Now, I'll probably butcher the pronunciation, so if you know it, don't criticize me later. I know I'm probably doing it, but... There are the Beel, and the Sindhi, and the Balush, and the Pushtun, and the Shina, and the Shitrali, and the Balti, and the Punjabi, and the Kashmiri, all represented in Pakistan, right? And every one of those groups calls themselves us, and everybody else they or them, right? Now, if the gospel breaks out among the Punjabi, right, they don't naturally... Uh, share the blessing of knowing the one true God with all the other people groups around them since people naturally steer away from people that are different from themselves. It's not necessarily racism. Everything gets labeled as racism. It's just a natural inclination to stay within your own group. It's more comfortable for people, right? Um, And knowing this, God put in one word which changed everything for Abraham, right? He said all peoples, not 90% or 80% or 50%, but all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And he didn't even say only the people closest to you, the people groups closest to you. He said all peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. So Genesis 12, and this is key to understanding this, is actually the Great Commission. It's actually the Great Commission, which we usually think of as Matthew 28, right? Um, the, the found, it's the foundational theme running through God's Word. God's working towards the goal of redeeming people from every tongue and every tribe and every nation. Now, somebody recently sort of I guess you would say they criticized my preaching a little bit, and they said, you center, you center too much on the Great Commission. I'll tell you what, I hate the word mission, missions, because everything is missions, everything. And when we, when we label, like, the Great Commission just missions, you know, missions in the church, and we separate it out from everything else, we categorize all these little things, we make it, like, not as important, you know, as it should be. Mission, God's mission is it. Everything else falls underneath it, right? That's how important this is. Um, See, Christians usually attribute uh, the Great Commission as 
sort of having been just given by Jesus in Matthew 28 because we have read the Bible as 66 independent books with individual stories, but we have missed the central story of Scripture. Overall, the central and just, it's big, right? Jesus did not initiate the idea of reaching all nations. It wasn't his original idea. I mean, it was his original idea because he is God, but not in Matthew 28. That's, what, that's not where it first came about. Missions didn't begin with Jesus in the New Testament, right? Missions began with Abraham after the Tower of Babel. It really did. That was God's heart all the time. Jesus simply reiterated what God had already promised Abraham when God said all peoples would be blessed through him. Jesus reiterated we that we should be going to all peoples, building on God's promise to Abraham by using the words all nations. Right? So let's not miss the larger picture of what God's doing though, right? He wants to use people to reach the nations. He wants to use his people to reach the nations. You know, maybe when you signed on for Jesus, you didn't realize that. And you're like, oh, you know, that's a bait and switch. No, it's not a bait and switch. It's all clearly written, right? It was all there. You know, and he could do it by himself. He is God, right? He could do it by himself, but he chose for some reason, or maybe numbers of reasons, to, to use us to do it. He created you for this reason, right? It's, it's our primary, primary purpose and mission in life is to pour out that other nations, all nations. So God blesses us to bless the nations. And the concept of God blessing all nations uh, through us fills the whole Old Testament. When you start reading it through these lenses, you cannot get away from it. God's a global God, and we have a role in His plan. So we don't have time to do the Old Testament total justice today, right? But... Let's just sort of fly over a few passages, noticing the uh, sort of the, the spirit of the Great Commission in them. The, the only thing that most Christians know about First Chronicles is that it precedes Second Chronicles. Why there's a number one in front of it, right? Like I would, I would bet that if I polled you guys right now, that most of you have never read the books of First and Second Chronicles, right? Let's just be honest. Some of you I know have read through the Bible numerous times, and you are super Christians, great. But for the rest of us, you know, normal folks, we never read First or Second Chronicles. But notice in this verse, the references to a global application in it. It says, sing to the Lord all the earth, proclaim his salvation day after day, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous de- deeds among all peoples. Do you hear it? You're starting to hear it. The Great Commission could not be any clearer in verses like this. God's a global God. He is absolutely passionate about receiving worship from all of humankind. Now, that might sound arrogant of him, but I don't think it is. Because God is good, and God knows he's good. It's not an arrogant thing. And he wants to bless everybody with his goodness. Right? When I, when, when I was first a father, and my little kids were running around, they were like two or three years old, I mean, when they looked at me, I knew, they looked at me as like, man, that was my dad. Like, he, 
in all of his glory. You know, like, you know, they didn't know the truth yet, right? Now they're in their 20s. They know, you know, they're not so enamored. But, but when they're three or four years old, they look at dad like, wow, you know, he can do no wrong. He's so big and powerful and blah, 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 and all stuff. That's, and, and the, 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 the fact of the matter is that is what God is. He is that good, unlike me, right? But, uh, find out where I am. <laughs> Psalms 11, we read this. All kings will bow down to him and all nations will serve him, right? Isaiah 61, 11, we read, For as the soil makes the sprout come up and a garden causes seed to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. Simple analogy, soil causes food to grow and God causes his righteousness and his praise to spring up among all nations. Jeremiah 3.17 At that time they will call Jerusalem the throne of the Lord and all nations will gather in Jerusalem to honor the name of the Lord. Daniel 7.14 it says, And there was given, there was given him dominion and glory that all the peoples, nations, and languages, I mean, it is covering it, right, should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. Malachi 1.11 offers the same sort of sentiment. It says, My name will be great among the nations from the rising to the setting of the sun. In every place, incense and pure offerings to, to my name, because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. So, the Old Testament is absolutely chocked, packed, filled with this, this idea that God's heart is to bring his glory to reach all nations, right? Now, let's look at the New Testament, and let's ask this question before we go there. Did Jesus understand the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis chapter 12 to be the foundational starting point for all of the scriptures? Or, like most of us think, did he just show up to these ragtag disciples and say, ah, the Old Testament's outdated. I'm here to give you a new revelation. Is that what he said, really? Or did he understand the impact and the power and the, the, that the Abrahamic covenant was the foundational starting point for all of the story of the Bible? Well, the answer is found in Luke chapter 24, verse 45. But to best understand this verse, you have to understand its context. He has almost completed his life on earth, right? He has is, he is suffered, he's died, he's risen from the grave, and now he's with these ragtag disciples, and he's not sitting around saying, I'm really going to miss you guys when I go. You know, He's not like you know, sharing sappy words and holding hands and singing around a campfire and anything like that. Rather, we find Jesus at that moment in this teaching mode. And he, what is he doing? He's reviewing the Scriptures, right? He's reviewing the Scriptures with his disciples. And, he sa- and it says at that moment that then he opened their minds so that they could understand the Scriptures. Now, you think about that. We need God to open our minds to understand the Scriptures. A lot of people don't understand because they are not; they are still spiritually dead. It is God's regeneration, regenerative work that makes us to understand the Scriptures. 
If you don't understand the Scriptures, ask the Holy Spirit to reveal it to you, to open it for you, right? So Jesus is sitting here, and he's meeting with these disciples just before he ascends into heaven, and he's going to give them their marching orders. And his la- it, what we say at 6-8 all the time is, it's his last command which becomes our first concern, right? Because the most, it's the most important thing that he has to say. And if, so, so if you were on your deathbed, or if you were going to go on a trip and never return again, and you were never going to see your family again, all that kind of stuff, would, wouldn't you tell them the exact most important thing uh, to say? Wouldn't you synthesize everything down into something that would be easily rememberable, and it was the most important thing that you want your kids to understand? Well, of course you would, and Jesus uh, did that, right? So... I, I, you kind of wish that they had an iPhone there to video this thing, you know, to, to the, the incarnate living God, the Jesus in the flesh, God in the flesh, right, explaining and opening the scriptures to his disciples. That would solve a lot of questions, right? See, these are Jesus' last instructions while on the earth. He has limited time before he's going to return to the Father. So you have to wonder, how many themes did Jesus think you know, we're important to convey, right? And we may have thought of a bunch, you know, really important things. Sanctification, justification, grace, mercy, holiness, purity. You know, maybe 15 to 20 you could come up with your, in your mind. You think are so uh, to, the, to the, the, the Christian life that you would want to tell everybody. And we'd try to pack it all in, you know, in five minutes and, and, and we'd lose them, right? Sort of like my preaching sometimes. Um, he didn't, though. He didn't do that. He just gave them two. That's it. Just two. If Jesus can take the entirety of Scripture, right, and break it down into two simple themes, shouldn't we be intimately acquainted with that, and shouldn't we be teaching that to others? I think we should. And this is what he said. He told them, this is what is written. The Christ will suffer... And rise, so this is what is written, reveals that he's reviewing scripture, right? The Christ will, will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance uh, and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem, and then you are witnesses of these things. Sound like Genesis uh, chapter, or, uh, Matthew chapter 12 to me, or chapter 28, sorry, the Great Commission. Right? But what are the two themes? Well, for, the first one is that the Christ will suffer and rise on the third day. Right? And so that means all the good stuff, right? That means for, we have forgiveness of sins in the Messiah, Christ. We have freedom from the penalty of death. Death no longer has mastery over us. We have a, re, a reconciled relationship with God the Father because of Jesus' work on the cross. All that, 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 you know, and that all refers to the top line blessing of that Genesis 12 covenant, right? We have been blessed with this, right? And then he continues, repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in, the na- in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And that refers to the bottom line of the covenant of our responsibility to bless others with this message, right? 
So Jesus broke the entirety of Scripture down to the top line and the bottom line components of the, of, of the Abrahamic covenant. Basically what he did. So if every, anybody ever asks you, well, uh, what's the Bible all about? I try to read it. It's confusing. I don't understand it. Now you have a very simple, quick answer. You can say it is two things, and this will help you to fulfill your mandate to you know, bring God's blessing to somebody. Firstly, that God wants to bless your socks off in Jesus. He just wants to bless you like crazy. And secondly, he wants to use you to bring that blessing to all the groups, people groups of the earth with the message of Christ. That's what he wants to do. Now, you might be thinking, can't be that easy, Jason, right? Like, <laughs> would you smoke out there in Florida? It's not that easy, right? Well, let's kind of test it a little bit. There was an expert in the law in Matthew chapter 22, and you know the story. He walks up to Jesus and he asks, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And now he's asking that question, and, and it seems to me that he wants one answer. But, you know, Jesus gave him two, if you remember, right? And he says, First, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. So that is referring to the relational blessing that we have with God, that we can be in relationship with God. It is the top line of that covenant, right? And then second is like it. He said, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And that is referring to the bottom line of the covenant. Because we are blessed by God. And, and if we are blessed by God, then don't we want the same thing for our neighbor? Now, I don't just want my neighbor well-fed and to find justice in the world, although I want those things for all my neighbors, right? I also, above all things, and this is where the church is missing the mark these days, not necessarily us as a church, but a lot of churches are missing the mark these days. Above all things, I want them to come to knowledge in Jesus. That does solve all the ills of the world. It really does. You know, it's as though Jesus said, you know, I can't break the Scriptures down into one command, but I can give you two. Now, if you look at the Ten Commandments, the first four are commandments which deal with our relationship with God. The next six, you know, and that's the top line of the covenant, our, our, our connection with the Lord. The next six deal with our relationship with others, referring to the bottom line of the covenant. So it's top line, bottom line, top line, bottom line, in some way, shape, or form, running the entire way through Scripture. You cannot get away with it, away from it. It's like railroad tracks allowing us to read God's Word, the whole Bible, as one book. Now, when Jesus was opening their eyes to the Scriptures, what was He referring to? What Scriptures? Well, we all know... The New Testament had not been written at that moment, right? So he's referring to the Hebrew Scriptures or the Old Testament. And so he taught mission. He taught God's mission to his disciples from the Old Testament, proving two things. One, that first, he would suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, which had already occurred by that time, so they're listening, right? And then secondly, that repentance and forgiveness of sins would be preached in His name to all nations. Not just the people like you, but to all nations. So Jesus was proving the Great Commission from the Old Testament. Right? 
which means that the Great Commission at that moment was over 2,000 years old, and right now it's well over 4,000 years old. Uh, today, God's, God's desire to reach all the nations of the world, all the people groups, the ethnic groups of the world, has been there from the very beginning, and is the very heart of God, and He wants to use us to accomplish it. That's why I get so excited when in my house I have like 11 different languages at any one time being spoken in my, my house. It's a wonderful reminder image of me, for me, of Genesis chapter 12 and Matthew 28 and Luke 24 and the whole story of the Bible, right? Now let's peek at the very end of the Bible. You ever read a book and you read the last few pages to understand? I never do that. Some people do it. I don't know why they do it. But let's do that right now. Uh, in, in Revelations 5.9, at the conclusion, to see the final result, realizing that the, con- the context of this verse is that it's a song that is being sung by the elders. And if the elders are singing it, it must be a pretty important thing. And they're singing about Jesus, right? And it says, And they sang a new song, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased men men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. There it is. Right Now, does that mean that every nation in its entirety will be standing in front of the throne of God at the end of the day? No, it does not mean. It means a remnant of, of people from every nation will be standing before the throne. We're not universalists here. We do believe that some people will not be in heaven. I, not a, it's an unpopular sentiment you know, out there, but it is true. If you do not come under the lordship of Christ and repent of your sins, and receive forgiveness, you don't, you, don't, you don't stand there with Him at the end of it, right? God made a promise in Genesis 12 to use people like us to reach all the nations, all the ethnic groups, all the people groups, and, and He fulfills that promise here in Revelations 5, verse 9. And everything between Genesis, the end of Genesis 11 to Revelations 5, 9 is mission. It is God's mission. Not about us. It's about His mission. Right? So what God set out to do in the Bible, using us, God pulls off at the end of time through us. You're the plan A and there is no plan B. This tells us that God intends to use people like us to reach all the nations. Your life means something. More than you realize. The Bible is meant to be read as one book with one introduction, one story, one conclusion. And each time we go to the Scriptures, we should be seeing God's heart for the world. And the big picture of how God wants to ultimately use our lives. And then that would be the end of the story. Maybe you didn't realize, you didn't know that God plan was to impact the nations through you. But that's why we want to discover and, and, and know how God wants to use us, right? Uh, I'm glad for what we do internationally with our church, but I want more. I want to do more. I want to grow into this even farther, right? So as you go home, and as you read your Bibles every day, as I know you do, you have a quiet time and you read your Bible, every day, or you should be, begin to be cognizant 
of that phrase, all nations, or that word, nations, or the word, peoples, right? And as you do, I believe the Holy Spirit will begin to open your eyes even more to your central purpose in life, right? That you're blessed to be a blessing with the gospel of Christ, not just to these people out here, which we are, but to people groups all across the world, every single nation of the world. And that is an important thing to grasp hold of. Amen. I'll end there. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your story. We thank you for uh, your movement in history. And that's why we call it history. It's, it's his story. It's your story. And we, we ask, Lord Jesus, that, that your glory would reign in our hearts and our lives, that we would desire to see more of it among the nations that we would desire to be more a part of what you are doing and where you're, where you're working. Whether that means the person sitting next to us at work or the waitress at the restaurant or you know somebody behind the counter at the store we go to or a friend that we've never shared with or, or, or a family member that we've never shared with or whatever it is, to all those people groups across the world, I pray that you would start to embed in our psyche a desire to understand what's going on in countries like Lebanon and Syria and Indonesia and you know just all these places where the gospel needs to break forth. And we pray, Father God, that you would make us more involved in what's happening there. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. And I think uh, Christine's going to give us a little missions update today too.